So, uh, before we before we get into to disagreements and criticisms of MMT, I want to broaden this a little bit because we've been talking about MMT versus like orthodox economics of the kind that's that's certainly dominant in like you know economics departments in the United States. Uh, but uh, of course, those aren't the only options. And something that uh, Derek kind of referred to earlier uh, is that. MMT is not only a departure from uh, orthodox um, economics; it's uh, it's also it's also different in important ways. Although there's a lot of disagreement about how to conceptualize the relationship between the two, uh, to uh, the economic theory, at least that uh, that that Marx and Engels had that you know that that is has been associated with, uh, with classical Marxism. So uh, before we, we kind of get into uh, actually arguing about any of this, uh, Derek, do you want to, do you want to kind of lay out like how MMT is different from classical Marxist economics? Well, there's two ways that are important. Um, the, fir- the, the, the first would be that um, classical Marxist economics and as it is expressed in Das Kapital, in volume one, assumes um, the existence of barter-based commodity money because it is imported as a um, as a concept from classical economics from Adam Smith and Ricardo. Um, Marx's commentary on that is somewhat inconsistent, actually, in the broad spectrum of his work, but it is pretty much consistent in Das Kapital. It comes back up again in volume three. Um, uh, I would, I would say. So, so, so just, just to be clear, the the claim is, uh, is just that that money is a money, commodity. Yeah, money is a commodity that emerged from barter, as opposed to the, um, the neo chartalist view. And I'm going to be specific on that because because early chartalism, uh, uh, in the case of George Knapp, uh, which was a, uh, a competitor to Marxism, even within the social democratic movement. Um, also assumed barter exchange. It wasn't until Alfred uh, Michel Ennis revised it um, to move it away from the the barter, the initial barter concerns, which is what separates MMT's version of chartalism from chartalism as it existed in the 19th century. Um, the some of the issues re- revolve around um, that. Some of it revolved around the idea of the nature of the state itself. Um, and whether or not the state is a classed organ inherently, um, which I think is probably where I would still side with with classical Marxist. Um, I do think, however, that the modern MMT's critique has um, has been backed up somewhat by um, by economic anthropology that um, most forms of token currency come from something like a state. Um, I, I, I would be hesitant to say state before the modern period, but it comes from something like a state and it comes out of debt, debt and credit relations, depending. Um, there is good work by, uh, by several different um, anthropologists, including Marshall Sollins, that more or less backs this up. And I have pointed out that while Marx's vulgar periodizations of modes of production um, and uh, don't hold to this. If you look at his actual descriptions of those modes, it actually roughly still works. Um, so 
my my a lot of my debates with MMTers have been over the historical development of money because I think they do have some crucial insights, particularly in the uh, in Michael Hudson and David Graeber, um, but also in some more recent scholarship. Um, and, sure. and here we're dealing with deep history, where we're going back to like ancient Mesopotamia and and debt jubilees and whatnot. So, so, um, so, so I, I do want to just back up a little bit because I, I think that the relationship between this issue about um, you know whether money is a commodity and anybody who's you know I mean anybody who's read or tried to read uh, Capital Volume One uh, can you know, probably has at least some blurry memories of, you know, yards of linen and, you know, gold and all that stuff. So they, they have some idea of, uh, of what you're talking about, but that issue, right. Whether, mm. whether money is usually thought of as a commodity, whether it historically emerges from barter or it comes from somewhere else, it might not be obvious how that's tied in to anything that's important to, um, to, to Marxism, like the, uh, uh, you know, the, the labor theory of value or like anything that you normally think of, I think, uh, you know, when you, when you think about Marxist economics, at least if you don't have that, that deep dive level of knowledge into it. So, so why is this claim about money being a commodity and emerging from barter important to classical Marxist economics or is it? I would say it is not as important as it seems. Um, what what I would say, it depends on whether or not you think Marx is is doing a imminent critique of Adam Smith, or he is actually stating out a positive theory. If it is an imminent critique, it's not particularly important. Um, uh, if if it is if it is crucial to to Marxist um, Marxist planning and how and the way you view you view um, Value relations, and that's a, a can of worms. It's, you always think MMT is abstract. Um, if you, the way you view value relations and means out of value relations, this becomes a highly contested point. Um, for practical economics right now, that is irrelevant. We are, we're nowhere near the, 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 we're nowhere near anything like um, value abolition. What yeah. I, mm -hmm. okay. So, so just just to try to uh, just try to connect some dots. So, uh, you know, when you say part of the issue here, and, and I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to spend like half an hour talking about Marxology. I, I want to get to the MMT, but uh, uh, but the so the issue about you know whether you see what Marx is doing at the beginning of Capital as an imminent critique of thinkers like Adam Smith is whether he's basically sort of entering into their assumptions in order to criticize them or whether he's just saying here's what I think uh here's what I think is true and a lot of it overlaps you know with right. with, with people like Smith okay so so I understand that uh then this uh so the issue about how you like I think most people, if they know one thing about Marxist economics, know that there's some idea that labor creates value, uh, and that you can maybe, in a hazy way, see how that would um, how that would link up to maybe thinking that it's wrong somehow to say that uh, that 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 money is uh, is like created. Uh, by by acts of, uh, of of government fiat, uh, and then the last issue that that you touched on, and and I just want to make 
make really sure, like, like I, I know I'm doing this to, to an extent that might be slightly tedious, you know, but this is mm-hmm. like, uh, but, uh, you know, but I, I don't, I don't want to assume and I don't want the, the reach of this conversation to be, to be limited to people who are, who are already, you know, at least ankle deep in these debates, you know, I'd, I'd like, you know, I'd like people who, uh, who've, who've maybe only like had a toe or in it to have some idea of what's going on here. Uh, that, uh, so the last issue that you mentioned was value abolition. So the idea that, uh, that's, that has deep roots in classical Marxism, that, uh, one of the goals of socialist politics is to abolish, uh, the, the value form, which, uh, I, I think that this is, a, I, I'm aware that this is a horrible oversimplification, uh, but just cause I, I do want to move on, right. You know, is, is like roughly the idea that whatever it is that's, that's being exchanged when we normally exchange currency, uh, that, that, that wouldn't exist anymore because if we're moving from a society, that's kind of a, you know, where not only do bosses rule, but ultimately the decisions of bosses are, are themselves ruled by market forces to a society where our economic life together is consciously planned in some way, abolishing that is is seen as a uh, as a crucial goal and and then how you conceive of what it is that you think that you're abolishing is um then maybe gets into uh into the areas of conflict between classical marxist economics and, and mmt yeah although i would add that the power relations within the state is this is a second and completely unrelated um issue and it, it is actually the one that i think is a more live issue in contemporary and not like, oh, okay. so, possible so, politics. So, so do you want to uh, expound on, on that a little bit before we get back to Nia? So what's the, uh, so. Yeah, well, well, the, the state yeah. is a, the, the state is an ultimate expression of a, of a monopoly on force and thus um, as a monopoly on force, the tokenization of the ability to compel labor and specific um, is manifested in, and currency is one of the things. But also, it's also currency has other functions, um, including credit and the removal of that force. So, the the question becomes: What is the nature of the state in issuing um, uh, currency, and what does that say for larger scale power relations, also between states? And this is where. I think there is a more lively debate around MMT. And, and uh, Nia brought up um, Fidel Katub, uh, who's one of the only people I've known who's really dealing with the idea that in classical chartalism, um, its notion of sovereignty is more or less imperial. Um, and Katub uh, has been trying to deal with this idea um, of sovereignty in a way that could could make it more applicable to places outside a developed core. When we talk about the countries with full monetary sovereignty, and we could actually state the four conditions MMT states for that is there. I've seen it listed as between seven and twenty-two. Um, when I really go through it, it's seven, and only one of them are not part of the Anglo-American sphere, um, and it's debatable if they're actually not part of the Anglo-American sphere. And the reason, um, so Europe as a whole would have monetary sovereignty, but not any one polity within Europe. So, and that, that's, so it's kind of, everyone kind of brackets it out as a, 
as kind of a weird case because of the nature of the monetary relationships in the EU. Um, then you have Australia has full monetary sovereignty. Canada more or less does. Um, the United States, Japan. I'm thinking who else. Um, um, and and the reason is either most most um, most smaller nations have to de facto, if not de jure, peg their currency um, to a larger nation's currency for trade reasons. Um, and this has been an issue that Marxists have critiqued him in tears around for a while is that, oh yeah, it will work in the imperial core because the imperial core through both productive capacity and material force can compel trade. Um, but if we're interested in this beyond our own nation, we don't know that MMT has an answer for that. Now, I, I, have, I would say that if you'd asked me about this four years ago, I would say MMT does not have an answer for it. I would say now that thinkers like Katib, and there's some other thinkers that have been shown, um, or even someone like uh, Christine Dawson, who's not really, you know, uh, associated with out of US MMT, but um, have started to try to reconceptualize this idea of sovereignty. This has been a free public preview of a patron exclusive episode of Give Them an Argument. To get the rest of this episode and every other patron-exclusive episode, go to patreon.com slash Ben Burgess.